You know, you look at other churches and they do it every Sunday. Some churches look at the elements and they believe that they actually become the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And we talk about communion being a symbol, a symbol of the body and blood. And many times we minimize what that actually means. But I believe that communion is much, much more than just a symbol. I believe it is an opportunity to embark upon a spiritual journey, a time to experience the power and the might of the Holy Spirit. It's a time that we come together and prayerfully seek a change in our life, a change that only comes through Jesus Christ. And we begin that journey by reflection, looking and meditating and, po and pondering the things of God. In Psalms of seven, uh, Psalm 77, 11 through 12, he says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your mir miracles of long ago. I will meditate on your works and consider all your mighty deeds. As you look at your life in the last quarter, have you seen the hand of God move? Have you seen miracles performed? Has he answered prayer in your life? Have you seen him move in such a way that you know it only could have been at the power of God himself? God acts in such great ways. He moves in such mighty winds and with such thunderous voice. That if he is working in your life, for sure you know it. But we not only reflect upon the acts of God, we reflect upon the pains that we may experience. In Lamentations 3, 19 through 24, the writer writes these words. I remember my afflictions and my wanderings, the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, I say to myself. The Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Has your life been filled with physical pain? We've had a number of people in the hospital in the last few weeks, and they've had all kinds of people cutting on them. They've inserted hearts into their body so that their blood flows freer. They've had back surgery. They've had hand surgery. All kinds of things have happened in their life, and they have felt the pain of such. Many have gathered here today feeling the pain that comes in our own spiritual life, the anxiety, the frustration, the broken down uh, aspects of their jobs and uh, the many situations that they find themselves into. We reflect upon that pain, and we realize that God is even there in that pain. But Luke, the 15th chapter, Jesus talks about a parable. He talks about a parable, and he says, Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and lost one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. You know, this morning we come together to rejoice and to celebrate the great joy that we find in Christ 
And we do that with our friends, with our neighbors, with our community. And as we reflect upon that friendship, and as we reflect upon those that mean so much to us, it gives us the opportunity to share with one another and to understand that, you know, relationships are so important. They build us up. They encourage us. Someone to call on the telephone. Someone to text. And some of us are good at texting, right? I tell you, they go off at some of the weirdest times and some of the messages that are communicated. But it's part of who we are because we care about people and people care about us. We're happy that you're here today to go on this spiritual journey with us to experience the power of God as we gather around his table. And we want you to fellowship with those that are about, those that are sitting in front of you and beside you and behind you. We want you to make them feel at home and to renew that friendship because we were all lost but now found. And we can rejoice together in the power of his might. Shall we stand together and welcome and encourage one another in the faith? Reflection is an important part of our lives, and many times our reflection only takes place after events. After we've moved away, we can see the hand of God moving. We can see God bringing people into our lives that we hadn't anticipated, and we wonder really what they were doing there. But after time and after the leadership of the Spirit, we can see it very uh, reverently. But then the second step of this spiritual journey is found there in 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, verse 28, in which Paul instructs us to examine ourselves. You know, we know what it means to examine ourselves because we live in an age in which we spend a lot of time looking for those things in our, our own physical being that may indicate cancer or indicate problems in our lives. So many times we're used to examining ourselves and examining the things in our lives but, you know, God's Word says that we ought to allow the Holy Spirit to come into our being, that we ought to open ourselves up and allow the Spirit of God to walk through every crevice and every room and every aspect of our life to examine it. Now, many times we hold on to things in our lives. Many times we hold on to secret places. Many times we hold on to those things that keep us from our service before Him. But we need to allow God to search. Better, you know, to search is even better than TSA. You know, TSA gets into all kinds of areas, doesn't it? And all kinds of crevices and all kinds of ideas and concepts. But we ought to allow the Holy Spirit there in Psalms 139, chapter, verse 23, he says, Search me, O God, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts, see if there be any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. We need to give God permission this morning to bring to our remembrance, to bring to our thoughts those things that have happened in our lives in the last few months, in the last few days, in the last few hours. We need God to bring to our remembrance, bring to our surface, those aspects of our lives that have been offensive to him, that have been disobedient to him, that have been hurtful to others, that have been offensive, we need God to bring it all to the surface so we can lay it before him. Search me, O oh God. Know me. 
understand my attitudes, understand my actions, understand that which has possessed me and moved me and motivated me, and touch me, Lord, to the very core of my being. Are you willing this morning to give God the permission to walk through your life, to show you those relationships, to show you those uh, opportunities, to show you those failings in your life that need to be brought before him. He says there in 2 Timothy 2, 7, Paul speaking to Timothy. He says, reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight to all of this. In other words, Paul's saying, as I've taught you, meditate and think upon these things, and God will bring to your thoughts the understanding of that passage of Scripture. In other words, we need to be able to measure our life against something. And the way we measure our life against is that we measure it beside the Word of God. That we put the Word of God down and we read it and we pray over it and we place our life before it and allow God to show us where we may come up short. To measure us in every aspect of our life. To lay aside all that we happen to be. To test our words against what? the Word, to make sure that what we're saying is in keeping with what the Word of God is saying, to make sure that our hands are doing what the Word of God instructs us to do, to make sure that our attitudes are in keeping with the attitudes of the Spirit of God, to repent, to rethink, to change our mind to turn around, to leave behind us that sin, to understand the true sense of guilt. You know, we live in a world in which nobody wants to be guilty anymore. We live in a world in which everyone wants to think that they're good and everybody wants to think that they're obedient and that they're doing their own thing. And the reality of it is we do have a moral compass. We do have a direction. We do have that which will give us the, the will of God in our lives. And I believe it's the Word of God. I believe it's the Spirit of God. I believe the Word of God is alive today. I believe it is a living message to us, and it is directed to us by the Holy Spirit of God who we have allowed to move in our lives. And because I understand the Word of God as such, I understand His mercy. If you look in Matthew, the fourth chapter, verse 17, he tells us that Jesus began His ministry. And what did He do in His ministry? From that time on, Jesus began to preach. And what was his message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, it takes coming to that place in your life that you understand that you're a sinner, that you understand that you've been disobedient to God, that you understand sin has overcome, uh, has overcome you, and that you are willing to turn away from it and go in the opposite direction and follow the leadership of God and to give your life totally and completely unto Him, to repent. Now, we don't like that word, does it, do we? 
We don't like to talk about repentance. We don't like to talk about bending our knee before God. We don't like to talk about those things that bring us into submission to the will of God. But the idea is that if we're going to grow in our faith, if we're going to allow God to move in our lives, we're going to have to confess that sin. We're going to have to decall sin what sin is. Disobedience. Stubbornness. Refusal to obey God's will. Knowing to do right and doing it not is what? Sin. Knowing to do what God wants you to do. Seeing it clearly in his word. Thou shalt not lie, but God, I've got to tell this lie. You know, I just got to do this. He says, thou shalt not lie. But, you know, we've categorized lies, haven't we? We talk about little white ones. We talk about those that are hurtful, those that are not hurtful, those that are protective, all those things. You know, as I read the Word of God, he doesn't give a degree to lying. He says lying is lying. And no matter how we try to make it right, no matter how many flowers we put upon it, no, much, no matter how much we try to rationalize it, sin is still sin. Notice he says, turn away. In Psalms, the 51st chapter, verse 1 through 4, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash all my iniquities, and cleanse me from my sins. For I know my transgression, my sin is always before me against you, and you only have I sinned. The psalmist talks about, I've sinned. And it's hard to see it. It's hard to look upon it. It's hard to admit it. It's hard to confess it. But the message is God is compassionate. And he loves us. And he wants to take that sin. And he wants to forgive it. And he wants to wash it away. And he wants to make it right. He's already paid the price. He hung upon Calvary's tree that we can be forgiven. That we can be made new. Those sins of omission and those sins of commission. It is that time that Paul tells us to examine ourselves. It's a solemn time. It can be a painful time. It can be a time of struggle as we allow that Spirit of God to move, to direct, to reveal, to woo us back into His way, into His place of service before Him. The second step is the hardest of all the steps because it means that we have to be honest with ourselves. It means we have to understand what the Word of God says and we have to allow it to be applied to us. And we can't look at the person sitting beside us and we can't look at the person sitting behind us. We can't look at the person in front of us and go, but God, you don't understand. You need to look at them. We need to allow the Spirit of God this morning to look at us. Me and only me. I'm standing in the need of prayer. I need that forgiveness. I need that cleansing. But God, you don't understand. He understands. He understands all the circumstances around it. He understands all the alibis we may have. He may understand all the rationalization we've applied to it. He understands that situation even better than we understand it. And he still loves us. And he's still willing to forgive us. And he's still willing to care for us. Part of this journey this morning is to allow the Spirit of God to work in your life and prepare us 
to sit before his table. Shall we prepare? By singing together, let us break bread together. Hymn number 366. We ask now that you forgive us where we failed and where we've sinned. Where we've harbored bitterness and anger. Where we've lost the joy of our salvation. Where we've let the cares of this world take all from us that ought to be yours. Father, forgive us. Where we've failed one another and that our words have been bitter and painful. Father, forgive us where we've broken relationships. Lord, we pray that you'll come into our lives even right now and that you will cleanse us, that you'll make us whole, that you'll renew our salvation and give us hope. For we ask this in your precious name. Amen. And that night, he called his 12 together. It was a night after a whole week of all kinds of activities. And they gathered around, including Judas. And they sat and had a supper and they shared the food together. But then he took some bread. And he says, this is my body which would be broken for you. His body that would only in a few hours be spit upon and buffeted and a crown of thorns placed upon his brow. It was that body that would have a spear thrust into its side. It was that body with nails in his hands and in his feet that would be given for you and for me that we could be cleansed and made whole. As our men come forward this morning, we invite you to the table to participate and to share in the gift that God has so graciously given each of us. And that night he took the bread and he broke it and he blessed it. He said, take, eat ye all of it. This is my body broken for you. The third step in our journey is to renew our vows, to renew our commitment, to renew what God has given unto us. In Ecclesiastes, the fifth chapter, verse four through six, he says, when you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest to the messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at me at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? The writer in Ecclesiastes understood what it was to make a vow. And we as Christians throughout our life have made vows. We made a commitment one day. We walked the aisle and we said, I am accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I am giving him my entire life, all that I hope to be, all that I desire to be, all that I would accumulate in this life is now in the hands of God. 
If he wants me to be a doorkeeper in his house, then I'll be a doorkeeper in his house. I am going to do whatever God desires me to do. I will be a missionary. I will be a preacher. I will be a choir director. I will play in the orchestra. I will sing in the choir. I will do whatever God wants me to do. Almost every single one of us in this room have made that promise to God, did we not? We said, I'll do it. Well, will you serve on the building and grounds committee? Well, you know, I don't know anything about buildings. And plumbing is not in my repertoire. I cannot flush commodes. You know, I just cannot unplug them. We made a vow. And God holds us to that vow. Many of us at other times in our life made a commitment to full-time service. We went to camp. We were, in, we were involved and encouraged in all that was going on around us. Men and women and young people were making decisions, and we believed that God was calling us to full-time service, and we walked an aisle, and we made that commitment. But then we figured out that that doesn't make a whole lot of money, and you're not going to have very many luxuries in life, and you may end up coming to retirement and not even have a place to live. And we decided that there was something other that we ought to do with our life. And we got caught up in the things of the world. We've made promises before God. We made promises before God saying, I will love and cherish till death do us part. I know he stood right in front, right here, and made that promise before God. Not to anyone else. But to God, we've made promises, and God wants us to renew those promises. He wants us to renew our vision. In Psalms, the 51st chapter, verse 10, he says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Create in me a pure heart. Give me what I need. Give me what will bring me on and restore the joy of my salvation. Give me that willing spirit that once again I will go wherever you want me to go. Give me that willing spirit that I will do whatever you want me to do. No matter how old or how young, no matter how educated or uneducated, no matter how blessed or unblessed by the world standard, I am willing to do whatever God wants me to do. That ought to be your prayer. That ought to be your commitment. That ought to be the very spirit of who you are today. Renew our vision. Renew that new covenant. In Hebrews 9, chapter, verse 15, he says, For this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins that we've committed under the first covenant. What he says is that what was in the Old Testament was insufficient. All the sacrificing, all the blood that was applied, all the things that were the requirements and the laws was insufficient. And now Christ has come to bring the completeness and to bring about a new covenant where it is now shalt not. Now we live by the principle to love your neighbor as yourself and to love your God with all your heart and with all your mind and all your soul. This is the new covenant. This is the new promise to serve God 
not by law, but by the spirit and the principle that he lives within us. And that's a little bit harder, you know. When you were a child, your dad and mom said, don't do this. And you didn't do it, or hopefully you didn't do it. As you got older, your parents started giving you some principles to live by and asked you to live by those principles in your life where it was not so much the letter, but now it was the spirit. And that's what God has done. Where the law was there in the Old Testament, he has come and given us the principle under the new covenant and he has shed his blood and applied that blood so that we could share in that promise that he has for us. It is a time of renewal, a time of refreshment, a time of a new spirit, a time of excitement that this time before his table brings to us. And so we come to that portion in which the disciples, after they had taken the bread and broken it and eaten it, he says, this is the cup. He took that common cup and he began to share it with his disciples. And he says this is the blood of the new covenant. Where the sacrifice and the giving that was so much entrenched in the Old Testament was insufficient. I now give you a new promise. A new covenant. A new sacrifice. And it is my blood on Calvary's tree. As our men come forward and share with us the cup. that night he took the cup he says it's the cup of the new covenant shed for you take drink ye all of it that night filled with anticipation filled with wonder in many ways as a new covenant was given he brought us to that last step of rejoicing In Philippians, the fourth chapter, verse four through seven, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will again, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be envy to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. There is a joy about being at the table before God. There is a joy about being in the house of God. We have tried in so many ways in our own earthly understanding to make church such a solemn place, such a hard place, such an uncomfortable place, such a painful place. If not, ask your kids. You know, they'll tell you, the pews are hard. I don't have anything to do. It's aggravating. It's boring. But in reality, being a Christian is a joyful place. It's a place of excitement. It's a place of happiness. It's a place that we can share the blessings that God has bestowed upon us. And we allow people to steal our joy. We allow worries of this world. We allow cares around us. We allow situations to walk in and steal that joy from us. But he says the peace of God transcends it all. The peace of God gives us understanding. The peace of God guards our heart and mind. Because you see, joy touches the soul. 
In Psalms, the 28th chapter, verse 7, he says, My heart leaps within me. The joy connects us to the Spirit. The joy is inscribed in our very being. It is good to be happy. It is good to enjoy the house of God. It is good because it says there in Romans, the fifth chapter, verse two through three, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It fills us with song. It fills us with laughter. It fills us with peace. And so we come to that time in which we can rejoice over the blessings of God. It is well with my soul. The psalmist has written a song that speaks to that peace and to that joy. Well with my soul. Though all the world around me is destroyed, though tornadoes come and hurricanes come, though there's floods and pestilence and hurricanes and and earthquakes, famine in the land, though my life has been destroyed, my 401 is gone, you know, it's just gone. Though gas seemed to be going down, now it's going up again. Though all of it happened, I can be at peace. I can be at peace because it's well with my soul. 